Well, it's great to be here. Really. Okay. Um, I just want to tell you that it's, it's, it's a real privilege. As a, I don't, I don't, you may or not know this, but I'm a superintendent, so I get a chance to oversee your church. I've got to oversee your church for a super long time. Almost like the whole life of your church, it's been, I got a chance to, uh, had the privilege of walking beside Chad and Yvonne in this whole series from when you, when you guys were back in the Korean church and deciding whether or not, I remember Chad called me up crying, wonder, wondering, should we go to that church building or not? You know, I mean, that whole thing in, in wasn't that bad, but there was just this moment where, uh, he, and then leaving there to go off to the school and what are we going to do? This is a big step of faith we got to take. And I remember, I remember Chad called me up and he's like, he goes, Hey bro, and he goes, he goes, hey, bro, we need some money. Like, how are we going to make this thing happen? And I, and I said, well, how much money you got in savings? And he goes, I think we have about $10,000. And I said, how much is it going to take to make the move? He goes, it's about $10,000. He goes, but we're saving it for a rainy day. And I said, Chad, it's raining. <laughs> it was awesome. It's raining. And so the, the great thing was is you stepped out in faith and you moved there and before long, that money was recovered, and it was crazy. And then watching you guys make that transition from there to here, and there might have even been one I missed. But, but I, I would just tell you this. Um, I, I want to tell you this. The Lord put this on my heart this morning before I walked in the doors. I just want you to know this. He's proud of you. God's proud of you. He's proud of you, LifeSpring. I want you to know that. That as we transition from one pastor to the next, um, maybe, maybe you just need to know a little bit about my history. I, I planted a church just a little, about, a little before Chad and Yvonne. It might have been around the same time. And, and when we planted, uh, out in Ording, we planted, and then I was there for about eight years, and then the Lord asked me to take over a church in Tacoma, Puget Sound Christian Center. And so I remember walking through the transition of leaving a church that I'd planted and taking over a new church that I was wasn't the church planter for. And so I just I have a unique perspective for you. And I just want to tell you as somebody who's who has left the church before, it's really weird. It's weird leaving a church. And and amen. It's weird. I mean it's really weird leaving a church because because everything about everything everything about your mindset is here. Everything about your heart is here. Everything about the the the, the love and the care and the reason and the the why I wake up is all here. And and you're telling your body to do something different. And you're saying, oh, think about Clarkston when everything's thinking about here. And and then Dan's coming in and and he's saying, no, really, I think we can handle this thing. And he and Mary are doing a great thing. And, and you believe it. Aren't you guys happy and proud about what God's doing in them? It's awesome. I'm so proud of what God's doing in you, not only now, and what he's going to do with Chad and Yvonne, there's no question, but what, what he's doing here with you. And there's nothing easy. I, I've, we have three babies at my house, our three kids, they're now young adults. But what, when it, I remember the process of my wife delivering, and when she delivered babies, I remember her saying things like, it hurts. I remember thinking, like, it must, you know, but nevertheless... Um, <laughs> All these poor moms awkwardly laughing. But I can tell you this, um, it, it, it hurts. And so when you transition from one baby to the next and a new daddy and a new mommy and a new thing, it is awkward and it's going to hurt. But the, the great thing is, is you have somebody who you already know and love and that God's raising up and releasing. And I already see their leadership fingerprints all over you. So be blessed. And God's proud of you. You got this. Way to honor your parents. Way to honor Chad and Yvonne as they walk out the door and bless them. They will, they will be forever. You, the, the pastor I took over for in Tacoma, 
Uh, I remember just making a big deal and saying how great it was to honor his legacy. And I can tell you, as we honored his legacy and he walked out the door, uh, it, was, it was ridiculous how blessed they were, and the church was blessed. And so as you receive a special offering for them, man, if, if there's somebody here who's thinking to themselves, no, I'm going to keep it for Dan and Mary. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to just give and just watch God show up really big. It's really, you watch. I mean, he just makes it happen. So, so when you do that, and then the next thing you know, you find out, wow, how did I get that bonus check? And you, you can give to them too. I mean, you just watch. God's really big that way. Amen. Amen. Good. There will come an official day when the installation is real and official and we, you know, come up here with a sword and hit him on the head and bless him and all that. So, so there will be that moment. I'm just, is that how you do it? Bottle of oil dumping over you. Glug, glug. All that. You know, it's funny. When I, I, so I'm, I'm not a small man. And I remember the pastor took over for is smaller than me. And so they were trying to do this spiritual moment. And they were like, let's pass the mantle on to Lance. You know, and I was like, okay, just let's keep it spiritual. And so they had the, the pastor take his jacket off. And they said, now put it on Lance. And I was like, come on. I feel like Tommy Boy, man. It was like, sorry, sorry. Some of you know that story. Tommy boy in church, not working, right? Sad guy, little kid, there you go. Hey, listen, I have a little girl, uh, my daughter, she's 18, a uh, son uh, who is 21, and another daughter who is 16. And so my, my son, he's off traveling the world. He is uh, video, he, he works for a church down the street, uh, Calvary Community Church. Um, he does a great job, so I love their, what they're doing. But my son, he's actually a video, he's their videographer, and he's out in South Africa videotaping snowboarding. Didn't know there was snow in South Africa, but I was like, wow, pal, really? <laughs> like, come home, you know. And, and my, uh, my little girl, Mikey, my daughter, she's heading off to Central Washington University to throw in track. She's uh, on a track scholarship out there. And, and so my daughter, uh, my mother daughter, Bailey, is a cheerleader at Ording High School and having a lot of fun. But my 18-year-old, we, we bought her a car. And you have to know when you buy your kids a car, you have a choice. Either buy the car that makes you look cool as a parent, or you buy a car that's like really the car they need, which is going to break down and probably get wrecked you know, at some point. So I remember thinking to myself, okay, we're going to buy that car because I don't really care what people think about my ability to buy a car for my daughter. But we bought this cheaper car, and it was a 96 Toyota Tercel. We knew that it was just going to get her through, right? <laughs> because I knew my daughter, man. I knew she's the sweetest, greatest thing, but maintenance wasn't like her thing. you know. So I remember thinking... All right, we bought her this car, and, and I remember she came home, and she said, Daddy, um, the car runs great, but there's, uh, but, but there's this noise it's making. And I said, well, honey, what's that? So I went out there and looked, and lo and behold, it, she said, it's ticking. And I said, what's ticking? Well, let's check the oil. So there was no oil in it at all. And so I thought, ah. So I put a little oil in it, and I set her up with one of those Jiffy Lube things where, you know, they fill it for free and top it off. And I said, I said honey, just every week go back there, and they'll top it off, and we're just going to ride this thing out because it's not going to last long. But we're going we're gonna to ride this thing out by just keeping putting oil in this thing, right? Well, a couple of weeks go by and she's like, hey, Dad, it's, um, it's making a different noise now. And I said, honey, like what? And she goes, I said, did you go get the oil checked and changed and added and all that stuff? And she said, no, nah, I just I forgot to. And I said, how long have you been driving like that? She said, well, a couple of weeks. And I said, honey, that's not going to work. And so, so I said, well, what are you doing? And you start to hear the noise. She said, I just turned my radio up. <laughs> yep. Awesome. And I said, that doesn't work, honey. So, so <laughs> we got to check the oil. 
You know, as I was praying for your church today, I feel like the Lord said he wants to check the oil in your engine as you're heading into this new season. That there's an there's a oil check he wants to do in you as you're heading into this new season of transition. That you, you can live off of what's been in your engine for a long time, but at some point God says, hey man, we've got to check it and see what's going on. What's, in, what's, what's under the hood now? So I felt like this morning the Lord has this lifting up of the hood of your life and, and just to check the oil because there's some maintenance he wants to do in your hearts as we move forward. Amen? Let's pray. God, will you help us this morning to hear what it is that your spirit has to say? You're really big and you're really good and you're really holy. God, help us to understand what it is your spirit saying today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50. As you're turning there, I'm going to read out of the book of Daniel chapter 11, a brief verse that as you have Psalm 50 with your finger in it, Daniel chapter 11 verse 32 says an interesting passage of scripture. It says this, Daniel writes this, speaking of the devil, Daniel says, he or the devil will flatter those who have violated the covenant or those people who have sinned and win them over to his side. But the people who know their God will be strong and able to resist him. Daniel writes this in 11.32. The devil will flatter those who have sinned and try to win them over to his side. But the people who know their God. Everybody say know their God. The people who know their God will be strong and able to resist him. It's interesting how the devil tries to flatter us, isn't it? He tries to flatter. How does he flatter us? He tries to tell us you're right. The devil tries to tell you all the time how right you are. You know what? You're right. She's wrong. I mean, he just tries to say, you know what? If people really knew you, they'd realize how right you are and how wrong he is. I mean, over and over again, the devil tries to flatter you and make you feel how right you are. That's what it means when the Bible says the devil will try to flatter you and win you over to his side. He'll try to, he'll try to flatter you and say, well, you know, you deserve, you deserve to come in late to work. Everyone else does, so you know what? You deserve it and flatter you. He's the one that tries to flatter you when you're filling out your taxes and says things like, you know what? You know you gave more than your thing actually said, so you just go ahead and write it down. You know. You know I know that you know. The, the enemy, he works like that. He just tries to flatter you. The Bible says here in Daniel eleven thirty two, the devil will try to flatter you and win you over to his side, but the people who know their God will be strong and able to resist him. How well do you know your God? The word know in the Hebrew comes from the Hebrew word yada, which means to know and be known. In Greek, it's actually the same word, but it means it's a different word. It means gnosko, which is the same thing, to know and be known. It's an intimate word. The people who know their God will be strong and able to resist the enemy. The Bible says if you know your God, you'll be able to be strong and recognize his flattery. Hmm. To know their God. It's the same word used when Adam knew Eve and they gave birth to baby. It's an intimate word. To know is, is more than just a knowledge. It's an intimate word. Daniel 11.32 says the people who know their God will be strong and able to resist him. So as God lifts the hood of your life this morning, how are you doing with your knowing of God? As, he, as he's lifting the hood and he's, pull, he's pulling out the stick and he's trying to, to see what kind of oil's on, your, uh, on the stick. You see if there's something in there. Is, he, is there anything in that? 
Do you know your God? Have you been able to be strong and resist the flattery of the enemy? Or have you been given in to, to, to the flattery and how he says, man, you deserve this. And you know what? You deserve, you deserve a little look on the Internet, man. You deserve that web page. You deserve a little longer. You deserve a little rewind on that DVR. Look at that person. You deserve that. How, how are you doing against the flattery? Because the people that know their God will be strong and able to resist him. Psalms, chapter 50. You know what's great about being a guest speaker? Is um, you come in as a guest speaker, and it's interesting because you have, this, you have this moment as a guest speaker of thinking, do I want everyone to just like me? Or do I want, or, or, or you come in like Uncle Lance. And Uncle Lance is the kind of guy who comes in and says, you know, Uncle, you know when Uncle comes to your house? You, they usually say things that are inappropriate. And they say things that are like, you know, your mom's like, oh, geez, that guy. So I, I can be Uncle Lance today. <laughs> I can say terribly inappropriate things and I say, here you go, Dan. Ah, I won't do that. Be funny. Psalm chapter 50, Psalm chapter 50 is written by a guy named Asaph. Asaph was a guy who was, he was a worship leader leader. Asaph was a guy who, well, probably not unlike Dan, just a lot like Dan. In fact, that he was a leader of leaders. There's no question when you hear Dan or even Mary lead worship, you see it, you see such a strength and stability in their ability to lead you into worship, right? Isn't that great? So, so Asaph was a lot like that. Asaph was David, King David's worship leader. Leader. He was the one who, who really led out in a lot of the worship of the Bible. Asaph wrote about 12 of the Psalms. Asaph was a, a real passionate worshiper of God. Asaph was this guy who understood at this particular time when the kingdom of Israel had been divided to a northern and southern kingdoms. And there were, there were different tribes that went to either way. And, 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 and in the process of this whole thing, Asaph finally gets this burr in his saddle where he basically says, this is silly. Why is God's family divided? This is silly. Why aren't we listening to what it is that God has to say? And so Asaph basically comes to King David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and says, this is crazy. Enough is enough. God needs to do something. And so God inspires Asaph to write this psalm, chapter 50. And here's what it says. Psalm chapter 50 says this. The mighty God, the Lord, has spoken. And he has summoned all humanity from east to west. From Mount Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines in glorious radiance. Our God approaches with the noise of thunder and fire devours everything in his way. A great storm rages about him. Heaven and earth are full Heaven and earth are witnesses to what as he judges his people. Bring my faithful people to me, he says in verse 5. Those who've made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. Then let the heavens proclaim his justice, for God himself will be the judge. What we have here is we have in this psalm, Asaph's writing it, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, and God says this to his people. He says, guys, everyone, um, I need to talk to you all. And God brings the whole, the whole tribe, both tribes of Israel, and says, all of my children come back home. I don't know, at your house, we have our house, when my kids were a little younger, we used to have family meetings. You ever have family meetings at your house? You have family meetings where I, I usually, me, I would say something like, everyone in the living room now, right? We're going to talk. We're having a little conversation right now. And so my kids would come sheepishly into the living room, and we'd have a family meeting, right? We usually weren't going to discuss what we were going to have for dessert. Usually we were going to discuss something a little bit more like, who didn't pick up this, whatever it was, right? And so we'd have a family, well, this is that. God's calling his people back for a moment of a big family meeting. It's not a picnic, man. He's not coming back to say, hey, what would you like, potato salad? He's coming back and saying, no, man, we're going to talk because something's going to change. I've got to get to the heart of what's going on here. And so Asaph continues to write at this family meeting. Verse 7. Oh, my people, listen as I speak. This is God talking. 
Here are my charges against you, O Israel, for I am God, your God. I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings that you consistently bring to my altar. But I want no more bulls from your barns. I don't want any more goats from your pens. For all the animals in the forest are already mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Every bird of the mountain and all the animals of the field, they belong to me. And if I were hungry, I wouldn't even mention it to you. For all the world is already mine and everything in it. I don't need the bulls that you offer as a sacrifice, and I don't need the blood of your goats. He starts off right here by saying this. He says, he says listen, I'm God. I want you to know that. So, so he starts out here and he says at the family meeting, I'm God. I want you to know that. He says, I see, I see the offerings you bring. I see the gifts. I see, you know what I saw, God says? I, I saw the tithe you put in the offering plate today. I saw the, the, the help you brought when you, set up the, when you helped set up the chairs at the whatever it was you did. I, I saw you working in the nursery. I saw it all. I even saw the life group you went to. And, and you know what? I love the fact that you brought brownies. Good job. God's happy about that. He says, I saw it all, man. I saw all the things that you did. And I like it. I saw all the things that you did, and I like it. My kids. I remember one time my wife and I were, uh, they were a little younger. My kids were younger. Junior high-ish, high school-ish. And I remember my... Uh, my wife and I were going to go to Costco, and I said to her, um, hey, let's, we're going to go to Costco. And, um, and so naturally, the best option for parents, don't bring kids with you to Costco. All right? So I just remember thinking, bad idea, right? So, so we're going to leave them at home. And here's what I said to my kids who are old enough to be at home. I said, guys, listen, mom and I are going to Costco. Um, clean the kitchen. I want the kitchen clean by the time we get home, right? So not an unreasonable dad request, by the way. I remember telling them that. And so my kids are like, yeah, dad, no sweat. We got this, right? So we take off to Costco, and we're, we're on our way home. And on, on our way home, we're about 15 minutes away from our front door. And Polly goes, you ought to call and give him a warning. And I was like, warning? Nothing? What do you mean give him a warning? I'm going to catch him in the act, man. You know, see, she goes, no, man, you ought to give him a warning. Just make it right, you know, because otherwise, let's, let's just create peace. So, again, we're 15 minutes out. And I call him up, and I said, hey, guys, Mom and I are almost home. Code for is the kitchen done, right? So it didn't say it, but I just said, hey, mom and I are almost home, so can you come out and help us get the stuff, right? And so, so we pulled in, and, and I remember walking into the, the house, and I see all three of my kids in the living room, right? So the, 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 the doilies are where they're supposed to be. The lampshades are actually on the lamps, and, and like, like everything's where it's supposed to be. And I see all three of my kids sitting in the living room going like this. <laughs> I'm like, what just happened, right? You know, man, three teenagers in one room. So, 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 so I looked around and I said, what just happened? And so they said, Dad, we, um, my son who stepped up because he's the leader, right? He goes, Dad, we, we cleaned the living room. And I said, that's awesome. So I walked into the kitchen and there's dishes in the sink. And there's and there's there's stuff on the sideboard still. It's like it, it's still a mess, like it was before. And I and, and I went in there, and, and Jansen goes, "Daddy, we cleaned the kitchen. It was or we cleaned the living room. It was great. Look what we did in the living room. It's all straightened up." I said, "Son, I'm, um, I didn't ask you to clean the living room. I should clean the kitchen." See, I feel like the Lord is saying to you today, live stream, that God says, "I see all the stuff you do." And it's really good, and I like it. I like the fact that our living room was cleaned up. That was great. But, but it's not what I ask you to do. <laughs> he says here in the next verse, 14, 
He says, I see all the stuff that you do in verse 13. In Acts 14, he says this, but what I want instead is your heart. What I want instead is your true thanks to God. He says, I want instead your true thanks to God. I want to fulfill the vows of the Most High. Translation, I see all the stuff that you do, but really what I want is your heart. Dan said it so well today in the middle of worship when he said, God wants us to worship him. You know what worship is? Worship is when we, when we allow God to be the object of our affection. Worship is when he becomes the object of our affection. God made us to be worshipers. We're all, you, by the way, you are already worshipers. The real issue isn't your ability to learn how to worship. The real ability is for you to decide what to worship. God made us worshipers. We just look for stuff to worship. What, what is worship? Worship is what you give your time, energy, and affections over to. And so really what God is saying is this. I see all the stuff you do, but really one is your heart. I, 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 don't, need your, I don't need your stuff. I just need your heart. And God's saying to you, LifeSpring, I see all the things that you do, and it's really wonderful. But what I want instead is your heart. As God lifts the hood of, this, of your life, and he's checking the oil, and he's saying, man, I see the stuff that you do, and it makes me happy. I'm glad the living room's clean. But really what I want is your heart. I don't need, no more, I don't, I don't need you to, 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 to impress me with how many more scriptures you read through. I really would rather have the scriptures read through you. I like that you choose, I like that you choose the, that radio station, you know, the one that, the, that has the good... I like that you choose that, but, but when, when, when your heart is poisonous on the other side, I, I really want your heart, and then, then it doesn't matter. I like that you do cartwheels for me. It makes me happy. But really what I want isn't your cartwheels. I want your heart. See, because when God has your heart, he can do anything with you. I'm going to tell you something that might make you a little frustrated, but it's the truth. I'm going to tell you this. I don't believe with anything that's in me, I do not believe God wants to be number one in your life. He does not want to be number one in your life. He wants to be the only one in your life. See, because if there's a number one, there's a number two and a number three and a number four. God doesn't want to be number one. He wants to be the only one. Well, we're the weird ones that kind of quantify God as being, well, you're the first one in my life. No, he wants to be the only one in your life. Because when you're living life, you see, we're the only ones in our culture right now. Our culture has this weird setup. We have this, in our Western mindset, we have this mindset that's, uh, you know, we have a God box. We do, we do our church thing and our God thing. And we have our Bible studies and our devotionals. Then we have our work box where God doesn't necessarily show up. And then we have our play box where eh, he might marginally show up. And then we have this other box where we just, we kind of have this thing in our, in our Western mindset that we have these compartments we put God into. And every now and then we'll allow God to kind of dip his way into our, to our work box and dip his way into our play box and dip his way into our whatever box. And we have these moments where we're, where God never intended us to be like that. You see, in the Eastern mindset, you weren't compartmentalized. You were one big circle. And everything inside of that circle was you with God. You were a daddy. You were a mommy. You were an employee. You were a Whatever it was that you are, you were a, a surfer. I mean, all the things that showed up were inside that box, and you were a Christian that just did all that stuff. And see, we in our Western mindset compartmentalize God into, well, I, I think I can bring God into this environment. God, God doesn't want to be number one. He wants to be all that you live for. But then, then he has control of your finances. He has control of your attitude. He has control of, your, uh, of your, your motives and your intentions. He has all of that because you're saying, I live all for you. All for you. Amen. Hmm. What I want instead is your heart. 
Verse 15, trust me in your times of trouble and I will rescue you and give glory to the Lord. But then in verse 16, it says to the wicked. But God says to the wicked. Now, who are the wicked? Sometimes we kind of read the Bible and we think to ourselves that the wicked is, is this, is this uh, you know, the, 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 the witches and the Asherah pole people and all of the, you know, all those kinds of ites that messed up in, in the, the promised land. You know, it, this isn't that. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, so this is, when it says the wicked, you know what the wicked are here in Psalm chapter 50, verse 16? The wicked he's speaking of is the people that look like they're God's people, but they're not. It's the people who, it's the people who, the, the wicked are the ones that look like it on the outside, but aren't on the inside. They look pretty on the outside, but they're not so pretty on the inside. That's what he's saying. He says the, to, to the wicked, he writes about what we're going to read here in a minute. He's saying to the people that kind of look the part, but they're not the part. And God now addresses the people who, who kind of show up to church half-heartedly and have one foot in and one foot out. Do, do you realize there's no such thing as a lukewarm Christian? You do realize that, right? Because when you're lukewarm, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> you either are or you're not. He says here, recite my laws no longer. Verse 16. And don't pretend that you obey me. For you refuse my discipline and you treat my laws like trash. When you see a thief, you help him and you spend your time with adulterers. And in your mouths are filled with wickedness and your tongues are full of lies. And you sit around and you slander your brother, your own mother's son. And while you did all this, I remained silent and you thought I didn't care. But now I will rebuke you, listening to your chart, listing your charge, all my charges against you. Verse 22, repent all of you who ignore me. See, God's calling us back today as a church. And this season that God's bringing life spring into, it's going to start with a whole new time, a whole new season of God saying, let's check the oil. And he says here in verse 22, repent all of you who ignore me. Now, my assumption isn't that you're all ignoring God. My assumption is, is that God wants to check your heart and say, how are you doing? How are you doing? How, 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 what's the condition of your heart? Because God wants it all. And as you move into this next season, it's going to take all of you. Verse 22, repent, all of you who ignore me, or I will tear you apart and no one will help you. But giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. And if you keep to my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. So how do you repent? How do you get your heart back in line with God? How do you get the oil changed? How do you, how do you make it all right again? How do you get to the point where you're like, all right, dude, you caught me. I'm in. You, you know what? My heart's not been right. I've had a crummy attitude or I've just kind of been ishy about things and I want to be fully in but not fully out. Uh, you know what? You caught me. That's it. I, I, you came to church today and God got you. And, and he said to you, look, I saw you. The, the funny thing, if I could really write the, the last couple of verses of this, here's what I would say that God said. Nice try. I saw it all. And God's not mad. He's To start out the service this morning, God says, I'm proud of you. But he brought you here this morning to say, let me check the condition of your heart. Because this next season you're going to walk into isn't a kind of season. It's an all-in season. It's a heading into an all-in season. Because God wants to reach this region. And he wants to use you to do it. Mark my words, God did not call Dan and Mary here just to try to affect this community. He, he brought them here to affect you to reach this community. Oh, they'll have their part, but he brought you to reach this community. Amen. So, 
How do you do that? How do you get your heart right and repent? How do you, how do you to, to, to turn? You know what repentance means, right? Repentance means you're heading one direction. It means, to, it means to be heading in this direction, realize where you've gone wrong, acknowledge that you've gone wrong, and then turn and go the other way. Repentance isn't just an acknowledgement of, wow, I shouldn't have done that. And then just keep on walking. Repentance is when you acknowledge what you've done wrong and, and you say to yourself, ah, God, you got me. All right, I'm in. You, I surrender. You got me. Jesus, now what? And so now what? Here's the, here's the answer to the now what. Proverbs chapter 4 begins to give us an answer as to the what now. How do we pull, how, how do we pull this repentant thing off? How do, how do we get back in line with God? How do we get our hearts right and realize that our oil levels are wrong and we need to get them right? How do we fix the problem? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says this. Pay attention, my child, to what I say. Listen carefully. Don't lose sight of my words, but let them penetrate deep within your heart, for they will bring you life and radiant health to anyone who discovers their meaning. Above all else, he says in verse 23, guard your heart, for it affects everything that you do. Avoid all perverse talk and stay far away from corrupt speech. Verse 25 says, look straight ahead, fix your eyes on what lies before you, mark out a straight path for your feet, then stick to the path. Verse 27, don't get sidetracked, but keep your feet from following evil. He tells us five things here real quickly on how to get our lives back in line, how to fix our oil levels, how to, how to repent and get our hearts back in the right spot. When you feel like, oh, I've just not been walking with God, man, I've had this, this kind of quasi-relationship, and every time I come to church, I'm hoping that preacher's got something good for me because he's got to get me through to the next week. I hope I can go online and read that devotional that Chad puts out there because I'm just hoping it's enough to get me through. And Dan, keep up. I mean, there's this moment where, where I get the little email, you know, so I'm going to tell you, there's this moment where your devotional life can't be dependent upon them. Your devotional life is dependent upon you. Some of y'all are going to probably take that newsletter over and start writing it for him. I don't know. Just telling you why. So but why? Be- because that's the point. The, the point of a pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So you don't have to do it all. Amen. Here's what he says. In order for us to get our hearts back in line with the Lord, in other words, if you find yourself this morning at a moment of repentance, at a moment of saying, ah, shoot, that's me, man. I've got to get this thing right because my, my heart's not been where I need it to be, and I need to fix some things. If that's you this morning, and if you're here and you're a new person, and this is the first time and you're thinking, like, guy's giving me a drink off of a fire hose. I mean, if that's you this morning, I'm just here to tell you this. God brought you here for a reason, and he wants you to know something. He loves you, and he brought you here to tell you this. He wants to get your heart right, too. Here's what he says on how to get your heart right. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says this. He says, pay attention, number one. If we're in order to get our hearts right with the Lord, he says, pay attention. Pay attention to what the Lord's saying. The word pay attention comes from the Hebrew word chashev, which means to sit at the front of your seat as if to do something about it. Have you ever been in a situation where you're listening so intently that you're just thinking to yourself, I just want to know all I can know because I'm going to need this information. I played college football, and when I did, I remember as a freshman, I ended up becoming the starting right tackle at our school at Central Washington. And when I got there, I remember as a freshman thinking to myself, I can't get this wrong. I'm the youngest guy on the team, and I think that I'm going to go out there to this game and just get clobbered. So I remember sitting on the front of my seat just waiting to hear what the coach had to say. I thought that would help me out, but it didn't. Nevertheless, there was this moment where I remember trying to listen so intently to what it was he was trying to say. That's what chashev means. It means to, to listen with an intent to actually do something with the information you're getting. God says in order for us to repent before the Lord, we have to start paying attention. Too many of us as Christians just kind of let life hit us. 
We just kind of hit us. I feel discouraged. I feel depressed. I feel anxious. I feel hurt. I feel, I feel mad. I feel whatever it is. You know, I'm, 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 I'm hurting and because of the unforgiveness. Let me tell you this. This is true. The, the Bible says every heart knows its own pain. And your pain is real. But let me tell you this. You don't have to live in it. The anxiety. The Bible is a lot of stuff. Scriptures about the Bible. Anxiety in the heart of man brings him down. But he goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer, petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will pass understanding, will guard your heart and soul. Over and over again, he gives us information on how to walk this stuff out. But far too often, we as Christians just kind of let life hit us and determine how it is we're going to live. Oh, I'm depressed and discouraged. The Bible says, cast all of your care and worry upon him. Instead, we allow that all care and concern to be left on us. And we just get discouraged and brought down even more. Why? You were never intended to hold it. Your job was to just be a conduit to give it back to him. Why? Because the enemy knows that you're going to try to hang on to it. What happens? You go further and further into your depression. Hmm. Pay attention, he says. Number two, in order for us to, to move forward in this repentant place, not only do we have to pay attention, but the second thing is this. We need to learn how to guard our hearts. He says, guard your heart above all else, for it affects everything you do. Now, in the Bible, when the, the Bible talks about the word heart, especially in the Old Testament. We uh, danced at it this morning about our gut. Oftentimes we kind of have this idea that your, your heart in the Old Testament, in our culture we would say, I feel it in my gut, right? I feel it in my knower. In, in the Bible they wouldn't say that. They didn't say the word gut. They said your heart. When you feel it in your heart. We hear the word heart and we think it means our emotions. You know, like let guard your emotions for it affects everything you do. Not true. Not true. What it says here is guard your heart. It affects, guard your gut, guard your knower, guard that place in your heart. And the word guard here in the Hebrew actually is indicative of this uh, uh, protecting and setting up a, a fence around it to be sure. But the word guard in the Hebrew actually means more than that. It means to, it means to literally set up a guard around your heart. In fact, it says it this way. It means to backload your life with truth. To guard your heart means to backload your life with truth. What does that mean? It means before you get to the fight, have something in the tank to fight with. Backload your life with truth. At some level, is there enough truth in your life to jump into a fight right now and stand up with it? You see, in order for us to guard our hearts, we kind of tend to think that guarding our hearts is kind of like this, you know, put on the armor of God thing, you know. So, so in other words, you kind of have a thing, you're going to just fend, you're going to guard it off. Put it, that's not what it means to guard your heart. Guarding your heart is when you say, okay, today it's August. It's a hot day. I'm going to sit out by the pool or the lake or the puddle or whatever it is you got. And you're going to, you're going to try to, God, pour into me. And, and here's what you're going to pour into you. Things like, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. But there is no weapon formed against me that will prosper. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he set my affections on the things above and not on the things of the earth. I can be transformed by renewing my mind, by changing the way that I think. There's five different scriptures I just threw out to you. You, you know, I, I'm guarding my heart. Why? Because I'm going to need it. There's going to come a moment when somebody's going to question my ability to think straight, and I'm going to remember Romans 12.1. Be transformed by renewing my mind. I have to. When I'm going to feel like, a, like I can't make it, I'm going to say, I can do all things through Christ. It gives me strength. My daughter and I were watching the Olympics the other day, and we watched this Olympic girl. They were introducing her, and you know when they're introducing the track people, they don't, you can't, they don't put a microphone up to them, they just put a camera. And so she was quoting, I can do all things through Christ, it gives me strength, over and over again. So I stopped it, and I went back and rewound it, and I said, hey, Bailey, what do you think she's saying? She looked at her lips, and she goes, she's quoting scripture. 
I said, that's awesome. She lost. But I'm telling you, there was this, she quoted scripture, right? (laughs) It's important for you to backload your life with truth. That's what it means to guard your heart. Backload your life with truth. Why? Because you're going to need it. You're going to hit a firefight. You're going to hit something that's going to throw you for a loop. You got truth inside your heart ready when that time comes. By the way, the Bible says it's the truth that sets you free, correct? Let me just press in on that a little bit. It's not necessarily the truth that sets you free. It's the truth that you apply to your life that sets you free. The truth that sits on your coffee table, not going to set you free. The truth that sits on your nightstand, not going to set you free. The truth that sits on your phone and you version, not going to set you free. It's going to set you free when you allow it to be in you. Remember, the goal is not to get yourself through the Bible. (laughs) The goal is to get the Bible through you. That's the truth that sets you free. It's not about how many apps you got on your phone that tells you if you're going to be set free or not because they're biblical. That's not the issue. The issue is how much of the Bible gets inside of you. That's the truth that sets you free. Number three, in order for us to get our lives back in a repentant place, we need to look forward. Look forward. It says look straight ahead. I love this because God says, he doesn't say, in order for you to get your heart right with God, keep looking backwards. In order to get your heart right with God, keep blaming everyone who, who came before you. Blame your parents, man, because they really hurt you. Blame everybody before you. Because that's what we do in our culture, right? Everything is about all their fault. I told our church one time, I say, hey, guys, listen, let's make a deal. Let's, tell it, let, let's make a deal. So all our churches, all, they're listening to me. I said, um, let's pretend it's all their fault. Everything, every, all bad problems, all of our bad habits, it's all our parents and the people before us' fault, right? Everyone in? They're looking at me like you are. And I said, let's just blame everything on them, right? But because here's the funny reality. You are someone's past. <laughs> you too will become someone's past. So here's my question. What are you doing for their future? <laughs> because they're going to look back at you and say, you are my reason for all my problems. I told my 16-year-old that one time. We were outside and I hurt her feelings. And that's not hard for a dad to do. Right, trust me. I had my daughter. And so I hurt her feelings about something and... And I said, honey, listen, I'm sorry. She said, dad, I can't believe you hurt my feelings. And I said, look, man, honey, just write that down and give it to your counselor one day. <laughs> she didn't like that. That's not, that's not good father advice. <laughs> it was funny, but it didn't really go well. <laughs> okay, number four, number four. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm trailing off here. Number four, in order to get our hearts back in line with the Lord, number four, Make a plan. Verse 26 says, Mark out a straight path for your feet and stick to the path. Make a plan. Folks, if we're going to grow up in Christ and get our hearts in a repentant place, we have to make a plan. Right? What do we do as Christians? Most of us just make a wish. We kind of just hope we're going to change. I'd like to change. I'm I'm wishing I can. Let me tell you this. Making a wish is not a plan. But making a wish is not a plan. In order for you to grow up in Christ, you've got to make a plan. What does that mean? You've got a plan to be around the right kind of people. You've got a plan to be in the Bible and spending time reading your Bible. You have to have a plan on what to do when you read your Bible. Do you have a reading plan that you read through? Do you have a consistent moment where you know where you're going to turn tomorrow when you get up to read your Bible and the next day? Or you just open it up and hope you hit something that's going to be good? Is there a plan? Because if you don't plan, then you're going to end up just being random about everything. You have to make a plan. The Bible says to make a plan. Number, four, number five, in order for us to get our hearts back in line with the Lord... We've got to stay focused. It says, don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked to keep your feet from following evil. Just for, this, this last one's from all of my ADD friends. Listen, stay focused. Stay focused. What does that mean? It means to minimize the distractions. 
We've got to start minimizing some of the distractions in our life. We're so distractible. We are so, we're so easily pushed one way or another. Stay focused. I tell my church all the time, when you don't know what to do, just do the next right thing. When you're struggling and you're having a hard time and you don't know what the next thing is to do, just do the next right thing. There was one time I preached the six months in a row, literally, and point number two of every sermon I preached, I said this, you know what? When you don't know what to do, just do the next right thing. So funny. For six months, no one ever called me on it. They're, they're all like, in every, every service, inevitably, somebody would walk up and go, I love that. That was rich. Just do the next right thing. And now if you go to our church and you're to say, just do the next, they'd all just start quoting and laughing. Because they realize that when you're, when you're in trouble and you don't know what to do, what's the next right? The next right thing might be to apologize to your wife. The next right thing might be to fall down to your knees in repentance. The next right thing might be to just go turn the lights off and go to bed. Amen? Stop arguing. Just turn the lights off and go to bed. The next right thing might be to just say, you know what? Uh, it's my fault. What's the next right thing? Just do that. And you'll find yourself making some more right decisions. More often than not, we just do the next wrong feeling instead of the next right thing. So this morning I talked to you about checking the oil in your heart. I talked to you this morning about lifting the hood of your life. My daughter's car, well, he eventually went to heaven or hell or somewhere, man. It's just no longer with us, man. It just it died. It was bad. It's not with us anymore because she ignored the signs she didn't pay attention to the little lights on the dashboard. She turned the radio up. See, some of us live our life like that, and the pressure of life is pushing in on us, and, well, we're ignoring the signs. You hear a message like this this morning, and you're saying to yourself, ah, that's me. I'll do it later. Or you say to yourself, you know what? He's on to something. I want to start this next season right. And maybe God is saying, listen, today's your day. Repent. Turn your heart back to the Lord. Allow the Lord to capture you today. So will you join me as we close our time together and pray?